You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. So welcome to Hope Bible Church. Bam! Hope Bible Church, it feels so great to say that. Last weekend we started a series called Living Hope, and what I wasn't able to communicate then is for the next four weeks, let's say, we're going to continue on in this series called Living Hope, where we're going to be unpacking the biblical understanding and theology of hope. It seems like a great way to start as we transition now to Hope Bible Church. What does biblical hope really mean? So we're going to take a few weeks to do that in different ways. We're going to do that as well, and I pray you'll be so encouraged in it. Again, a mentor friend of mine told me recently, he says, you know, faith, love, and hope, kind of the three main aspects and virtues we seek in faith, love, and hope. He says, faith and love get a lot of press, but hope is often misunderstood. I think, and I think that's very true, yet hope is so powerful. Faith gets a lot of sermons, love gets a ton of time, as it should, and yet can we really articulate what hope is? So we had a strong start last weekend, I pray, and then now we're digging into this again uh, with understanding, again, hope in a, in a different angle uh, in God's word. So hope is one of those treasures, I find, that you can drive by and admire. In case you're in the car, you're driving the car, hey, look, there's hope, right? Not like the physical church, but just hope in general, right? Like, metaphor, hey, there's hope, oh, it's pretty beautiful. Listen, but you keep driving and you fail to stop and really appreciate the details within. It's kind of like when you try to drive by Niagara Falls. Hopefully all of us have had a chance to do that, living only an hour away. And you drive by Niagara Falls, maybe you're crossing over, I think, the Rainbow Bridge there, and you can look at it. Hey, look, it's to your, to your right, and you can see it there. And, wow, it's kind of neat, but it's not like getting out of the car and going up and looking at it from the railing, and you see the water coming over, especially on the Canadian side, amen? Way better than the American side. No offense, Americans in the house, all right, all right? Just true, though. Anyway, so you're there, and you're looking it up close, and you see the magnitude and the volume and the beauty, and you can be in the car passing by, but you stop and you look closer, like, wow, that is amazing. This is spectacular, It is so good at times to stop and pause and to look with detail. So again, with this momentous time in our church, we're going to do that with the theology of hope. We're going to stop the car. We're going to get out. We're going to examine. We're going to ponder. And we're going to see, I pray, just how beautiful biblical hope really is. And so this week, how we do different passages. If you see hope as a jewel... Well, we're going to look at the jewel from different angles, turn it, and oh, look at that. Oh, wow, it's beauty too. And we're going to try to gaze at it from different vantage points as God's word shows us here as well to really encourage us. So we're going to do that this week from Romans uh, chapter 5. Please grab a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 5, specifically verses 3 and 5. A Bible's in front of you. If you are here without one, you can grab that Bible, turn to New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans And it's called Romans because it's a letter to the church in Rome in the first century written by Paul. And we're going to see this incredible letter, which is so packed. We'll take a couple of verses here and learn from it. Okay, so as we're opening Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, we park the car. Come on, family, get out, right? And our friends, come on, let's all get out. Let's all walk closely. And we're going to see with wonder. Here's our title today, The Promise of Hope. The Promise of Hope in Romans Chapter 5. Look at verse 3, and don't worry, I'll build our context around this. Paul says, and not only that, well, look at verse 2 too. Into this grace in which we stand, uh, and we rejoice in hope, great name for a church, 
of the glory of God. Okay? So not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. You know what I'm thinking right now. Great name for a church. And hope, listen, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When it comes to hope based on Romans 5, what do we learn here? We learn this. Okay, biblical hope, number one from this passage, biblical hope, this, um, the promise of more. The promise of more and more. Look at the first phrase of verse 3. The first phrase of verse 3 is not only that. And not only that, Paul says. Here's another important transition phrase uh, by Paul. Now let's admit, when we're reading uh, a letter like this, we turn to Romans 5, or Romans 1, or 5, verse 1, verse 2, we come to verse 3, and then we see the phrase, not only that, and we can just kind of gloss over it. We don't pay any attention to it. Remember, every word in the Bible is there for a reason. Every word, every dot on every I, every T that is crossed is there by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Train yourself in that way and be expectant as you read that every word counts for something. And that's what meditation really is, by the way. It's making every word count. In this case, every phrase count. So you can look at not only that and you can underappreciate it. You can miss it. You could not see the value and the treasures within. Not only that can mean, um, or even greater than, or in addition to, not only that is a hinge phrase of momentum. It's a hinge phrase of momentum between massive truth. So when Paul says not only that, you can picture, look up here, um, he's drawing back a slingshot with the tension, the good tension of verses 1 and 2, in order he can pr- and release the power of this going forward, launching into verses 3, 4, and 5, and so on. Okay, So what is he drawing back on? Now remember, whenever we're going through God's Word together, part of what I'm trying to do in a sermon is to teach you how to study God's Word so that you can wake up tomorrow morning and you can do it yourself because it's not that complicated. Things we've got to study, you've got to work hard at it, but it's not that complicated, right? We take the time, we pray, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us, and that's in large part what we do when we gather here as well as whole Bible church. So look at verse uh, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. It's just loaded, isn't it? In which we stand, and notice the result, The result is we rejoice in hope, in hope of the glory of God. So if you came in grumpy today, if you're a believer, your day just got better, okay? Based on verses 1 and 2, you say, what do you mean? Well, check out the spiritual gospel bullets Paul is firing that is about to decimate the forces of darkness and do decimate the forces of darkness as they are understood, as they are received by faith. Notice in verse 1, notice, I'm justified by faith. Uh, That means we are declared 100% innocent in the sight of God. It's a legal term that God has seen his son die for our sins. And the gavel goes down and God says you are innocent forever because you have been justified by your faith in my son, Jesus, who died for your sins. 
And next he says, we have peace with God. When you are innocent before God, then you have the peace of God. You are at peace with God. So notice this, before, and Romans 5 says this in verses 6 through 10, before Christ, we are enemies of God. I mean, just imagine being enemy of God. Good luck with that one. That's not going to go great, right? But because you are innocent, you've been justified by faith in what Christ has done. You are not not an enemy. You are a friend of God. You are at peace with God. He goes on. He says this. And because of this, we have obtained access, verses 1 and 2, access by faith into grace. So loved ones, check this out, okay? If you came in again grumpy today, it's going to be hard to stay there. You're going to have to work at it, okay? In Christ now, you are now swimming in an ocean of grace, okay? An ocean, And it's even more than that. It's inexhaustible. You are in an ocean of grace. How big's the Pacific Ocean? Ah, pretty big. It's a lot bigger than some swimming pool you've been in, all right? And that's the reality of the Lord. But just times that ocean by infinity, and then you have the inexhaustible nature of God's grace, which you have obtained access, awesome, by faith. Let me jump off that diving board. That's pretty awesome, okay? Notice Notice what happens next, right? He says, in which we stand, So we have access by faith into this grace, all because of Christ in which we stand. So that means you are immovable and indestructible because of our standing in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what happens to you. Doesn't matter what rocks get thrown at you. Doesn't matter what people do to you. Doesn't matter what people say about you. Doesn't matter what the enemy tries to accuse you of. Doesn't matter what happens in this life. If you're in Jesus Christ and you live for 15 years or you live for 95 years, it doesn't matter. If you're in Christ, you are immovable. You have gained standing before God forever. And then notice the natural conclusion, the end of verse 2, right? The end of verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So look at, the, look, look at this sequence. And by the way, what I just did, a lot of you are encouraged right now. Praise God. It's so awesome. Some of you are still kind of spiritually waking up. That's okay. But what I just did, it's pretty simple, eh? It's amazing. You just take the time. Like, hey, parents, you could do this with your kids like that. You'd be like, hey, man, look at, look, look at verses 1 and 2. Look how blessed we are, man. Hey, children, are you grumpy? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be grumpy anymore. Look, look, look. Look what Jesus has done. And you just walk through it, and all of a sudden, the Lord uses it. The Holy Spirit renews our minds. It's so great. And right here, we see a wonderful expression of biblical hope because we are justified, we have peace, we have received grace, and we stand in Christ. That becomes, notice, notice, that becomes the massive fuel of our hope. Because we know this is our future. And so therefore, Paul says, we rejoice with, tell me, hope. One more time, okay? We rejoice with hope. See, and that's the hope of what? The hope of Christ. Now remember, biblical hope isn't, I hope so. I hope so. Remember last week when we were hoping the Leafs win the Stanley Cup? Oh, right. Uh, well, that hope's gone, right? Right? There's always next year. Right? Always next year. But biblical hope, you're never like, oh, right? Because it's not a, oh, I hope it works out. Biblical hope is, I know so. Not a hope so in terms of like, maybe, cross my fingers, it's I know so. It's a hope, no, I know hope, I hope, no, it's I know so. And that is why then, ready? I love this. That is why then, one of hope's best friends is joy. Right? Think about it. When you know, when you know, when you understand you've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, when you know where you're going, you know. Well, joy's like, hey, Hope, can we hang out? And he's like, yeah, yeah, come on, let's go. And they're like hanging out together all the time, man, because when you're filled with the hope, you have the joy. And it's right here in the text. And we rejoice with hope. See that? They always go together. 
Because that's the reality. You really can't have one without the other when it's truly genuine. So notice, notice what happens here. Hope, true hope, leads to joy, ready, leads to gratitude. Right? I mean, it's hard to be filled with hope biblically and filled with joy biblically and to be grumpy. Isn't it? Because when you have hope and you have joy, well then gratitude, again, is a natural result. All these things go hand in hand. It's the power of the gospel, right? So what we love to say around here, right, it's very hard to be grumpy and grateful at the same time. Like, you really got to work at that, right? So you can choose to be grumpy, but then we're not focused on the things that God wants us to see. When we are, again, it's very, very difficult to be grumpy and grateful at the same time, in gratitude, man, it just feels good, doesn't it? Like, it just feels so good, you know? So easy to complain. So easy to complain. So easy to feel sorry for ourselves. So easy to be filled with self-pity. So, it's so easy to do that. So easy to see the things we don't have. So easy just to go into, like, a pout fest. So, it's all sinful flesh. All sinful flesh. Happened in our home several times this week. Happens in my life. More than I care to admit. And yet, when you see the gospel for what it is, man, it just, you start to see, you say, wow. Wow, we are so blessed. That's the power of hope. And what I want to show you is that this is all coming from the momentum of verses 1 and 2 found in the phrase, and not only that. Right? So all the joy, all the gospel, all the grace, all the justification, all the peace, all the standing, we rejoice in hope. But then Paul says, hey, by the way, but there's more. And you're like, really? Really? There's more than that. Not only that, in addition to, are you ready for chapter two? And he's like, and not only, so you're kind of like, wow, like what, what's coming next? Like, and, and there's more? There's more hope to rejoice in? There's more? There is more. And that takes us to point number two. It's not the more maybe we're expecting. Number two is this, the promise of joy within suffering. The promise of joy now, when you get this as a mature man or woman of God, it becomes immensely profound. When you're immature in Christ, you don't see it the way you're supposed to see it. Because when you look at the phrase and you're like, not only that, there's more. We're thinking more of the, of the stuff that we think good. Like, like all the stuff that's easy. All the stuff that's all blessing. All blessing in our definition. What Paul does actually though here, he says not only that, he turns to, you know, he turns to the reality. Well, let's look at verse 3. Not only that, like all the momentum, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Some of us are like, what? Huh? Like that, that's the word we're not expecting. Like we're, we rejoice in the glory that's to come. We rejoice in the perfection of heaven. But, but again, this is what we have to see. I'm telling you, this is like, this is a crossroads for many of us right now. In terms of will I go in biblical maturity or will I stay in immaturity? The mature get verse 3. The mature believe it. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character, notice, produces hope. So stare at the phrase, we rejoice in our sufferings. Quick survey, not, don't raise your hands, but just survey internally right now in our hearts. How many of us would truly rejoice in our sufferings? Now just answer that question based on your last week. Maybe last month, last year. How many of us would we truly rejoice in our sufferings? 
But this is the more of hope here. This is the more of hope. Biblical hope is so powerful, ready, that it turns sufferings into blessings. Say that again. Biblical hope is so powerful that it turns our sufferings into blessings. The word rejoice, notice, appears in verses 2 and 3. You can see it there. I like to kind of draw a box around rejoice twice and then draw a line to it. They connect. You should have a footnote beside rejoice in your Bible. Another verse 2 or 3. In my footnote says it means or to boast. To boast. So this becomes even more compelling. Biblical hope allows us not only to rejoice in sufferings, but to boast in them. To boast in our sufferings. But now the question we are asking is, how is that possible? How do I boast in suffering? Well, that's why the two go together, rejoicing and boasting. We learn together. We grow together in this. What's so important about point number two is, if there's a promise of joy, listen, listen, listen. If there's a promise of joy, notice there's also a promise of suffering. For we rejoice in our sufferings. So to be a genuine biblical Christian is to understand this. Understand this. That suffering is a New Testament reality. i got to pause, man, because I need you to receive that for what it is. Suffering... Now, we say suffering, it's relative. You can't just point across the continent to an element of the persecuted church as the only form of true suffering. Suffering is relative. Most suffering, I believe, too, happens internally. Spiritual oppression, inward battle and darkness, but of course it happens externally as well. But all that to say, suffering is a New Testament reality. In fact, did you know that you could argue that the New Testament deals with this theme more than any other? Let's just examine a few sample verses on the promise and the reality of suffering. Verse number one, John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me, this is Jesus speaking, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Amen? That's so good. Like, that's such a good verse, man. You gotta get that in your mirror. You gotta get that out in front a lot these days. In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus, take heart, man. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Next verse Philippians 1. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, look at this, it's been granted to you. It's been granted to you. Look at, look at what's side by side with faith here. It's been granted to you that you would believe. You're like, yeah, yeah, it's really good. But also, suffer. Isn't that interesting? I was reading Acts 9 today, the Apostle Paul. The road to Damascus. And he's going on to try to murder Christians. Jesus appears to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, he says. Jesus completely transforms his life. Ananias is so afraid to meet him. Jesus says to Ananias, no, no, no. Uh, He is my chosen instrument, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. I mean, that's amazing. But just inherent right here. You have been granted almost a gift. The gift of faith and the gift of suffering. One more verse in this regard. 2 Timothy 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's pretty clear. Um, I read in Acts this week... um, Uh, we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. We must. But then notice what happens here. Let's go to Matthew, Matthew 5 here. 
Now notice what Jesus does with this. Now ready? Like this is where this is so important for our day today. This is so important for maturity and, and, and a mature walk in Christ. Jesus says, blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Blessed, happy, fulfilled are you. And you're like, well, really? Really? Oh, I don't really feel that. And yet it's true. And yet it's true. Like, this, is, this is how the kingdom works, right? In fact, not only blessed and happy and fulfilled are you when people attack you for your faith, but actually rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. See, it's not about now. It's not about now. It's about what's to come. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It even goes on to say, again, more within that context. One of the great Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when forms of suffering come upon you, for your reward is great in heaven. Again, this is a major impact of hope in the early church. Again, I read this week in Acts chapter 5, when the early disciples and apostles, they are beaten for proclaiming Christ. And remember, this is, this is post-resurrection. This is post-Pentecost. This is Holy Spirit. They're no longer cowards. Now they're so courageous because they see the reality of their hope in Christ. They cannot die. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. We too have been raised in newness of life. And so they're beaten for their faith and they're leaving the temple and they're leaping and rejoicing and counting again the Lord glory that they are worthy to suffer for his sake. They're like, we suffer for Christ. And they're leaping, and they're so excited about that because they, they say, we have encountered among those who have been able to suffer in the sake and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's just like, man, you don't see that a lot around the church these days. And yet, it's just so clear. In fact, it's one of the major, major reasons of biblical hope. That hope in the gospel would equip us to see the hope within suffering. And by the way, let me point this out right now too. You will not hear this teaching from people like Joel Osteen, okay? But you will hear it from the Bible. So you do the theological math right now. I, just, I, 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 want, I want wisdom and discernment in this church. If you are following teachers and podcasts that never ever preach messages like this, they don't talk about sin. They don't talk about suffering. They don't talk about hell. They don't talk about judge. They don't talk about the difficulties which are so prevalent in the Bible. And they say that life is about you becoming richer and healthy and never. I'm telling you, man, they are false teachers. They are not preaching. They, they are anti-Christ in their message in terms of they do not deal with the content that Jesus went over and over and over again about. We need wisdom and discernment in our day. I take no joy out of going after, but I take a ton of joy out of equipping the church to be ready to discern between what is right and what is wrong. So many people are being brought down and being destroyed for a faith that is illegitimate in actual things of Jesus Christ, and they're resting on the wisdom of man instead. A little bit off notes right now, but it's important. It's important. I pray God is raising up within us a maturity that is so rare. A maturity that can look at the reality of suffering and say, this is one of the great producers of hope in my life and it's what hope is, is, is equipping me to endure. If you think of the parable of the sower, remember the parable of the sower and the seeds that fall on the rocky ground? Well, the rocky ground, right, they, 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 
um, rise up with joy for a moment. But then here's what Jesus says. He says, but when tribulation or persecution arises, immediately they fall away. That's very important. Jesus promised us that those who, yeah, yeah, I like the good part. I like the, uh, I like the easy part. But then persecution, tribulation comes. Oh, I don't like that part so much. And then they leave. And Jesus tells us they're not legit. But those who are, they endure. They see Christ as the greatest treasure ever, and he's so worth it. So you see what suffering becomes then? Suffering, loved ones, okay, make a note of this in, 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 in our lives right now. Suffering then becomes the greatest test as to our veracity and vitality of hope within us. I'll say that again, okay? This is so important. Some of you didn't realize you're coming to church tonight and you're going to get so challenged in this way. But that's good. I, mean, I just, if, 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 if I'm you right now, man, I'm like, yeah, bring it on, bring it on. I want, I need this, I need this so much. I, I, I do. Robbie needs this so much. Suffering becomes one of the greatest tests of our walk in Christ. Suffering becomes the test of our veracity and our vitality of hope in our lives. Suffering, again, I say it's relative to every individual, but it's real for every individual, will become God's greatest tool to find out where our hope and our joy truly rest, okay? You find out what you're made of when suffering comes to town. Um, I also think this is very important too. If a life has no form of suffering for Christ you have to take a very good hard look at your life and figure out if you're actually in Christ. Because one of the guarantees of the New Testament is that those who are in Christ, they will encounter forms of suffering guaranteed. There are no exceptions to this. Isn't that someone encouraging for you too right now? Because if your life is tough and you're in Christ, Jesus is like, yeah, it's supposed to be. If your life is easy and is always easy and is never hard, that's a serious problem. There's no true Christian that isn't confronted with trial and tribulation and suffering of some kind. No true Christian, biblically speaking, can avoid this altogether. Everyone must go through it. That's why heaven's going to be so awesome. Because it grows us and prepares us for what's going to be. So, God's greatest method to produce our, our maturity takes us to point number three then it's hope and suffering it's the promise of maturity it's the promise of maturity look at verses three and four again so we see now the the sequence we rejoice in our sufferings we learned about that why knowing that suffering produces endurance endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame so right here is why we can boast in our suffering why for what it produces suffering produces productivity and purity and efficiency there's no other way to see such growth in our lives than through this. I've always loved the metaphor, the illustration of the metalsmith or the goldsmith. For the goldsmith to make the gold more pure, he lights a very hot fire under the gold and melts it. And as the gold is heated, it begins to separate the impurities from the purity and the character of the gold. 
And the hotter the fire, then the impurities will rise to the top. And the goldsmiths will then skim off the impurities off the top, therefore leaving that gold with a greater refinement and character and purity than it had before. But it always requires the fire. That's what God does with us as well. Suffering becomes the heat underneath us that hurts, gets hot. And yet it allows us to see the impurities of our lives rising to the top. In the remainder of verse 3, we find out what we need to know about suffering, the, the process. Let's go through these. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance is what? Working through opposition. It's holding strong to faith in the midst of obstacles. So, so the, the person in Christ, when they endure, they are taking blows of certain kinds. They are pressing on. Um, imagine a massive rain, wind storm, and, 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 and you're fighting through. You've seen those kind of videos and the kind of hurricane winds, and the person is fighting through the storm and the wind and the hail and the rain's all around them. That's what endurance is for the Christian life. It's like those people just want to hide and never kind of face it. But the reality is there'll be storms in our life that come at us and we have, we're fighting through and the Holy Spirit helps us and allows us to keep going. And it's so difficult and we can barely see and we're hanging on. But he sustains us and allows us to endure through the opposition that faces us. Man, I can't tell you how much I relate to that over the years. Most of it for me will not be seen by anyone but the Lord, but I mean the internal struggles, the battle for faith, the temptation to give up, the spiritual oppression alone. I mean that, I went through some of that this week. I mean, it's no, it's no coincidence. You're just, you're just confronted with darkness. What is happening? You wake up at 2.30 in the morning and instantly the, the lies and the darkness flood your mind, the anxiety, like literally break out sweating. What is happening? It's, it doesn't make any sense. You can't explain it. And you just want to, you just want to kind of crumble in it. But here I am. Showed up again. By God's grace. And just like, I just, you're just like me. Like we're all together in this. That's just, it's just the way it goes. But I tell you, man, I, I, I need friends around me to pick me up when, when I'm barely making it. Like I need you. Like you're so precious to me. And you need all people around you too. By God's design, the church holding each other up to say, brother, I got you. Sister, I got you. I'm going to pray for you. God is with you. God loves you. The enemy wants all those things to be gone. And he's pretty good at it too. And he's wrecking lives all the time. But the Lord, by his grace and providence, will sustain us and secure us. It's like, it's in the suffering, it's in the suffering that we see the power of endurance because of the hope that we have. So endurance is a powerful virtue. It should be greatly desired. Look what John Stott has said about endurance. This is so good. We could not learn endurance without suffering. Why? Because without suffering, there would be nothing to endure. That's good, isn't it? Okay, okay, time out, time out for us. Can we admit how often we want nothing to endure? Like, can we just admit that? Can we admit that we, like, we often want our lives to be so easy? 
But remember, if we got what we wanted in terms of ease and comfort and a pain-free life, then we would be forfeiting massive amounts of genuine biblical character and endurance and forfeiting hope. That's what's happening here. See, see what happened? Okay, right, crossroads, crossroads time. Maturity, immaturity, right there. Immaturity, ease, comfort, pain-free, baby. Just take me to heaven. All the way, no bumps. But maturity says, well, you could go that way, but that's not going to go great. And you will be losing a massive amount of, of fruitfulness and joy and Christ-like blessing. Maturity says, I could ask for pain-free, but I understand that this is the path of taking up my cross and following Christ. Many of us right now are, are at a crossroads. Which do we want more? Which do we believe is right? What Jesus says or what we say? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, notice, and endurance produces character. I love this one, so powerful. Character, character. Character denotes that which has been proven by trial. It indicates the results of being tested. Again, I think of our goldsmith example. The character of the gold as it's subjected to suffering and heat and has to endure the, the character that comes from this Charles Spurgeon, greatest, one of the heroes, one of the greatest preachers ever. Do you know how much stuff he went through? This is what he said. I got a couple of quotes. I want to read them in detail because I find them so good. He says this, Our afflictions are the health regimen of an infinitely wise physician. I just stop because God's will can be to heal, but God's will can also be to allow us to go through. I don't understand how that all works. God does. He says this, I dare say the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health with the exception of sickness. That's interesting, isn't it? If some men that I know could only be favored with a month of rheumatism, it would be by God's grace would mellow them marvelously. Yeah, I take a picture of that too. I mean, just I'm stopping. I just, I just want us. These are, these are massive crossroad moments right now. This is like immature faith, mature faith in Christ. I mean, I'm hoping that we all right now, we can see seasons in our lives where we did not want this. But we know, we know without a doubt that it has produced some of the greatest growth and fruit we have ever seen. It's just how the Lord works. One more quote. Spurgeon said too, he says this, I'm afraid that all the grace that I have got of my comfortable, easy times and happy hours might almost lie in a penny. But the good that I have received from my sorrows and pains and griefs is altogether incalculable. Isn't like that, that, I just, yes, yes, that's true. I have no arguments. I will not try to debate it, refute it. It's true. It's entirely true. As much as it hurts to be in it, when you get through it and you can see what God has produced in it, wow. Wow. I mean, you, you fill this church with, with men and women. You fill this church with men and women who believe that. Look out, darkness. Like, I'm telling you, look out. If we stop asking God for bigger paychecks and easier lives and perfect health and, you know, like, God bless us, Okay? but define blessing. And if we're willing to also pray on the other side of that spectrum, 
I've seen the character of God grow in our lives and the power of hope being through us. Wow. Again, he had notice, notice. This is why suffering again is so powerful, leading to endurance, leading to character. And as you endure suffering for Christ, the impurities of your life then rise to the top. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, see, see, look, 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 look. And we repent and they skim off the top. And then we remain with a greater character than we had before. And what the Holy Spirit leaves is the best part. That is proven character. And God uses character more than anything else. More than your giftedness. More than your intellectual abilities. Character. Character is what God uses the most by far. That's why Tozer, my favorite authors, Tozer says the quote so well known. He says this, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man or woman greatly until he has hurt or wounded them deeply. And then Paul ends the sequence with, and character produces hope. See that? That's awesome. So we rejoice in hope, and then we rejoice in sufferings and endurance and character, and character then full circle produces hope. That's amazing. So watch this one. Ready? Ready? I want you. Hope begets hope. Hope begets hope. That's very, very important, right? So notice, our gospel hope produces our present hope and suffering, which leads to an increased amount of hope and glory. I wonder if you got that. I want you to see this because you probably didn't get it as I said it, okay? This is what's happening theologically in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. Watch. Our hope in the gospel, justified, standing, grace, and peace in Christ. That hope lets us find hope within suffering. We are subjected to difficult times and suffering, but the hope of the gospel says, well, I'm not living for now. I'm pressing on. I'm persevering. I'm believing God's using it. So I actually have the hope of the gospel leads to hope within my suffering. My suffering can actually be turned from something I despise into something I delight. I mean, that, that, that sounds strange, but that's biblical. And then the hope within suffering then, of course, then leads to an increased hope because Suffering, endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. So then we lead to more hope, the hope of glory of what's to come. And then that again increases our hope within the gospel. And so you have this massive, incredible circle of beauty and maturity and Christ-likeness in our lives. And this circle Satan is absolutely terrified of. He wants to derail us here. But if this is grounded and you believe this is happening, then all of a sudden you have an increased amount of hope, increased amount of fruitfulness in your life, and then you have a powerful, powerful perspective and passion that is all rooted in Christ, and you see yourself growing in leaps and bounds in maturity. Again, how awesome is it when you can take the trial that you've despised and actually, by hope, you can turn it into something you delight in? Again, sounds kind of like, really, really? It, yes, really. That can happen. The very thing you most dread can actually become one of your greatest delights in terms of what it's been used by God to do within your life and mine. Biblical hope, the promise of more, the promise of joy and suffering, the promise of maturity, and lastly, and this and briefly, it's the promise that won't disappoint. It's the promise that won't disappoint. Look at verse 5 now. Verse 5 is so beautiful. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts, notice, through the Holy Spirit 
Hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Once again, the supernatural power of hope. Hope does not put us to shame. What means what? Hope in Christ. Christ will never, ever, ever let you down, either now or in the future, ever. It's a hope that can't be stolen, diminished, or weakened, okay? Meaning, you can be in a prison cell in China as a devout Christian, never be put to shame, never. Doesn't matter what happens, you'll never be put to shame. You can be completely rejected by society, never put to shame. You can be hated for your faith, you will never be ashamed because you have the hope of God. You have the hope of Christ within you. You can, listen, you can be blown up on Easter morning in Sri Lanka and you will never be ashamed. You'll never be ashamed because of the hope that Christ has placed in you by calling you a child of God and securing your salvation and giving you, again, eyes of faith that you may be set free from sin and born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You say, how is that possible? How is it possible that such a life could be lived? How is such a hope a reality? The answer is in verse 5. In verse 5, ready? Because God's love. Now, loved ones right here, this is not our love for God. This is God's love for us in its context. God's overwhelming, overflowing, overpowering love for us. So ready? What is the single greatest sign or proof of God's love on us based on Romans 5? I'll say it again. What is the single greatest sign of God's love for you and I based on Romans chapter 5? Here it is. It's the Holy Spirit. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured, again, poured into us, the text says, poured into our hearts. By the way, that word poured in the Greek, gushing, in a fusion, abundance. Like it is Niagara Falls gushing, okay? God's love is gushing, has been poured in, in inexhaustible measure into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what God gives to us to assure us of his love for us. God is not stingy. God has poured out his love on us through his Holy Spirit. Here is hope. The hope of God poured out by his Holy Spirit. So think about this, okay? When you and I are so filled, Ephesians 5, so filled, or at conversion, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, then subsequently filled with the Holy Spirit, you are so aware of the manifest presence of God. Isn't it so true at that time when you're so overcome with his presence, you've never had more hope? This is when all of life just becomes like, you don't even see the rest of the world. This is when you are so aware of God's grace, his love, his Holy Spirit. You are so humbled. You are so filled with worship. You have never been more aware and conscious of his hope that will never, ever put you to shame and never, ever disappoint you. Question, when's the last time that's happened to you? When's the last time you've been so overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit of God you are so filled with his hope and so aware of his love because he's not a stingy God. You know, a lot of us right now, we have been quenching God's spirit. We have not been asking for God's spirit. A lot of us have been 
ignoring God's presence and pursuing it elsewhere, other things. Some of us have never, ever truly tasted salvation. And that can be you right now, today. You can give your life to Jesus Christ. You can turn from sin and and ask the Lord Jesus to save you. And the promise is the Holy Spirit will come and live in you forever. Never to die again. To be a child of God. And you can know the hope. The hope that will never, ever put you to shame. Church, I just, I want you to join me right now. In responding to the challenge Jesus gave in Luke 11, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Here's what I know, man. I get tempted and distracted by this world which ends up empty every time. But to know the hope of God, which His love, which He has poured into me, and He is not, again, He is not stingy. His Holy Spirit, once again, do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. I invite you in joining me right now. God, would you fill your church? God, would you fill your church? Like in all seriousness, right now, I'm asking you to pray with me. Worship team, you can come up right now. I just want you to be still where you are. I just want you to be in a posture of prayer. I just want you to take your life where it's at, the difficulties, the forms of suffering. Maybe you want to hold your hands just like mine, just as a posture of Lord, Phil. Phil, let us know again. Let us know again. The presence of our God in terms of understanding the hope, the grace, and the gospel.